Hey everyone, welcome to Emotional Duct Tape. I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. And we are, it's kind of like macabre to be recording on Friday the 13th, but you know, that's... You know, I think it's like, it's good luck. I have, Maybe. I, I've had a good day. There's no black cats, no rain clouds. No... <laughs> There's two black cats here and I'm still alive, so... <laughs> there you go. How, how are you, how are you feeling these days? Um, I'm doing pretty well, thank you. I um, got my pick line out uh, yesterday and had my first unwrapped, like, you know, no water wing type thing that I've been wearing um, shower this morning and it was so glorious. I mean, we take for granted that it's, that we can just get in the shower, you know? I mean, every day for six weeks, I had to wrap myself up and it like squeezed my arm and cut off my circulation and you know it hurt to take on and off and go over the pick line so I am so happy to to be free um and not on antibiotics uh anymore for now so um it's a good day yeah it's a great day I'm, I'm very happy and uh it's been enough uh it, it I went off the antibiotics on Wednesday but I didn't get it off until out until Thursday but um I'm actually going to have a celebratory uh, adult beverage this evening, which has been, you know, a little while, but all I want, you know, I'm not much of a drinker, but I just, I just want to have a white claw. It's summer. Like, I just want to have a white claw or two. That's it. That's good enough for me. And um, so I'm super looking forward to that later on this evening. I love that so much. Yeah. Tell me about what's going on over there. Nothing too crazy, just life. Um, I feel like I've, I feel like with therapy and just just being uh, a little more cognitive and, and having that space, I've been much like nicer, just gentler Aww. and um, more patient with my kid and my life for the most part. Um, we've been, I've been trying to be more cognitive of just uh, spending time with him. And I have all this vacation that I have to use this month. So I've been t- taking every Friday off and just like, hey, let's hang out together. And so went to the zoo today, went to uh, like a indoor play, inflatable place last week and Oh wow! Like all the adventures. Just making memories, and uh, his mom has some some stuff next week for teaching, so I will have two days with him, three days technically. So we're gonna get some some things going down, and then he starts preschool in like a week and a half. That's so, so crazy! I can't believe he's going to preschool already. That's terrifying. As <laughs> you know, but it's yeah. awesome! It's awesome! I can't wait to hear about like all the things he like comes home and tells you about. <laughs> anyway, um, we have a guest. <laughs> as we as we do we have a guest Um, (laughs) that's right it's not not just us today um and i'm very excited um to introduce everyone to tamara selman hello there so thank you for thank you for being on the show it's so nice to to meet you we've been talking for a little bit before we started the podcast and uh it's it's really cool to know to know someone new like you Oh, well, thank you. And I love your podcast. Um, we oh. were the last one I listened to was such a good, I mean, they're all good. Everyone's stories are so good. Um, it was the one about the young man who had the girlfriend who oh. was abusive. The, ro- the roller coaster wow. that was, was uh, Trevor, wow. poor Trevor. <laughs> yes. I mean, and takes a lot what of courage. A it, yeah. Such it a takes, sweet guy founded solely like a really good guy who really tried the best he could and it was just a terrible situation and 
it's really important for people to share those stories and to, to and, and literally to grieve the loss. There is still a loss there because, you know, you don't enter into a relationship without some kind of hope, you know? So I, I really believe in the, really the healing power of telling one story, not only for yourself, you know, but to help other people and to raise awareness. So that was a great one. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we do. That, like, it means so much. Um, you know, sometimes I forget that people actually, like, we do this for people to listen. <laughs> um, it, like, that sounds kind of silly and naive, but it's, um, you know, I, I love, I love talking to Corey. I love hearing everyone's stories. And I agree. It's so important for us to share and know that we're all, we're all going through the same crap where some people have some really crazy crap. But in general, you know, we're not alone in our grief ever, 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 ever. And so, yeah, but it's just, um, I'm always just very flattered when people, you know, have actually like listened and take the time to tell us. So if you're listening, email us, <laughs> tell us. <laughs> it's the same. I write a book and you've read it and it's always like, wow, somebody actually read something I wrote. So it's kind of the same experience of like saying, okay, I put this thing together with the hope that, you know, would, and, and it actually happened. <laughs> yes. And I'm so excited for you to share uh, your story and, and how, you know, the book came about and everything because um, yeah, it's super resonated with me and yeah. I think it's going to resonate with a lot of other people. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, you, uh, you have more than a passing acquaintance with chronic illness, not only for you, but, you know, members of your family. Um, I want to just say just ahead of time before we get into the whole thing that my story um, revolves around the disease multiple sclerosis, which is an autoimmune disease um, in which the nervous system attacks the coating on the nerve fibers in the brain. And when it does that, it either completely destroys them or really compromises the ability of your brain to send signals to anywhere in your body, depending on where the damage is. So um, you know, but I have to say that my book, and I think Jamie will probably agree, even though it's about my story, um, of getting diagnosed with MS in 2013, um, it really, I think translates to anyone with chronic illness because it's this weird, you know, dark passages and being lost and trying to find your way. Once you've been told that there's something about you that you didn't know before, and that it has the power to really change your life. So, um, it, yeah, I, it's, if I, I guess I could just start at the beginning when it comes to my grief story. Sure. I mean, really, um, I was diagnosed in 2013, May 15th. So it's been a little more than eight years now. Um, and I had, I had two entry points into this disease. One I didn't know about and one is when I found out really, um, and both of these I recount in my new book, which is called Intention Tremor. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a little bit. Um, the first one was I had a weird symptom in 1975 called an MS hug. I was nine years old and I had this weird uh, finch-like you know, sensation around my rib cage and I couldn't breathe. It's extremely painful. It's a, uh, a kind of spasm of all the muscles within your rib cage and it makes it very difficult to breathe and it can last a really long time. My first time was just a few minutes, but it was, I mean, obviously it's fresh in my memory now at age 55, as it was when I was nine, you know, and then, um, so that was in 1975 before they were even diagnosing MS. So nobody, they just, you know, 
they didn't really know to follow up on something like that, you know. And then uh, in 2013, I had gone back to school to study sleep technology at age 47. And I, I know, which is really hard. It's so hard to go back to school when you're older. Oh my gosh. And uh, I got in my car and I took my giant textbook to a coffee house to study for finals. And I opened up that book and I couldn't read. I could see, I mean, I drove myself there. I just couldn't, I couldn't read the, the words on the page. Um, and something your readers wow. or listeners don't know is that I've been an editor and a writer my whole life. So I kind of know how to read. <laughs> so it really wasn't about, it was about just not literally having um, a signal blocked where I just was unable to comprehend what I was looking at. So that's what sent me to the doctor and following about five, six weeks of testing, I was diagnosed with MS. So, but I'd had a lifetime full of symptoms before that, which is often the case. They just never all happened at one time. So nobody ever put any of them together. So I've had, you know, weird tingling sensations, different kinds of tremors. Um, I've had a lot of long respiratory and other kinds of infections that just took forever to get over. And I've mostly just had a lifetime of fatigue. Now, I thought I was just tired because I was a working mom. I mean, who isn't tired, right? So, but I was at the point where I was taking naps, like one to two hour naps every day, which is like, that's, that's too, you know, you know, right? <laughs> but it is, yeah, you're like, you're like, I don't know. I like, I have to lay down right oh, now. Oh yeah. Like I have to. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Jamie, uh, one time I was out for a walk, you know, like a get, getting my miles in or my steps or whatever. And I was so tired during this walk, you know, when you're walking, you generate adrenaline and your heart is pumping. And so you should be energized. I literally found a bench as I was walking and I laid down and I took a nap. That's how tired I was. Wow. And so I'm like, this, this can't be normal. And what was really probably the most abnormal for me was I was in a teleconference with a client. Cause at that time I was uh, working as a, like a de- developmental editor for other people, especially novelists. And I was working with a client on their book and we were talking to each other through the screen. And I literally face planted into my laptop right there in a live meeting. And I was like, okay, I've got to do something. So I, I went and actually saw a sleep, uh, sleep doctor. This, this was in 2010. This is a few years before my diagnosis. And they kind of sort of had a diagnosis, but it was still not hundred percent confident, you know, obviously three years later when things came together, then they're like, aha, now we know you're so tired. And so, um, anyway, so I finished, (laughs) I, I finished, um, my studies in sleep technology through the end of that year. It was hard. I had to take drugs for it. You know, you had to take the uh, stuff to keep you up all night. And, um, just so that you could get through a day without having to nap and everything, but I did it. And, Mm -hmm. um, because I'd been a writer before, part of my plan was to become a science writer and to write specifically about sleep health. So um, I continued to go on with that. Um, And then what happened after that is aside from the weird, I was having all these other symptoms too, besides the fact that I couldn't read. Um, So sure, had they they done any like uh, brain scans or anything when you had those initial symptoms? um, What? Okay, not until I couldn't read and 
that was a really interesting okay. day. That was a really interesting day because my, my, I had a really good primary care doctor at the time. He retired and I'm so sad because he was amazing. He was like a detective, oh. right? They rarely are, but he was. And he looked at me and I told him I couldn't read. And he asked me a bunch of good questions. And he's like, you know what? There's an MRI machine right across the, the campus here, a parking lot. Why don't you walk over there and just go get a test? And then it was open. I mean, how lucky was I that it was, you know, so I did. And within two days, they called me and said, gave me a preliminary diagnosis of MS. That's amazing and miraculous because that's not usually how it goes for people with MS, you know. Absolutely. And that's kind of why I was asking that because, you know, for, for those that are listening that don't know much about MS, you know, um, I said earlier when, when uh, Tamara was saying that, like, she got that MS hug. I get MS hugs. I have not been diagnosed with MS. I don't know if I will be diagnosed yeah. with MS, but the thing about it is, is it doesn't show up until it does. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> basically. It's true. And, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, you have to show evidence through time and space. So you have to have more than one instance. And I mean, there's all this really complex criteria that you have to follow and pass in order to get a diagnosis because it's a diagnosis of elimination. So it, so consequently, a lot of people with Lyme might have MS. A lot of people with MS might have Lyme. Some people might have both. I mean, but it's, they're yes. so close and lupus is another one and vitamin mm -hmm. B deficiency is another. And, and there's a whole slew of other mimics is what they call them. Yes. And it's just so... What I'm curious about is for you at that point, when you, when they said, okay, they gave you these preliminary results, was it, was there a greater sense of fear regarding what you found out or was it a bigger sense of relief knowing, okay, I can, I can put a, put a name to what this is, what's going on. Wow. That is a really good question. Um, <laughs> it, it always is because, well, first of all, I wasn't afraid and it's because by the grace of having two friends already who have MS and seeing them living full lives, it didn't automatically come to me as a death sentence or a, oh, you're, you're it's all downhill from here. <laughs> I, you know, one of my friends was at the time a critical care nurse and she had been diagnosed when she was a life flight nurse. These are not easy jobs. They require lots of stamina and she was doing them and still had MS. So to me, it was like, okay, okay, we can work through this, you know? And then my other friend was uh, the manager of a city bookstore again, you know, busy through it. Yeah. yeah. Busy and a mom working mom. So, um, so thank goodness. But by the same token, having all these weird symptoms over literally my whole life and never putting it all together and then seeing all of these things emerged, like, you know, you, you line up all these different filters and it creates this beautiful picture. Right. And I was relieved because it wasn't in my head. I wasn't just being, you know, you just want to have answers. I'm a journalist by trade. So I just want to have answers. You know, that's just who I am. So, um, that's a great question. Yeah. I was relieved. Um, not because I wanted a diagnosis of anything. I just wanted to know so I could do something. Um, that's, that's, significant you know so absolutely yeah yeah you know <laughs> if you don't have a diagnosis then you're just kind of foundering and then if you don't have a diagnosis it's hard for other people to take you seriously because then they're also thinking you're a hypochondriac right you know oh come on and 
uh, are you making too big a deal out of something or you're sensitive or some other thing that is sort of pejorative? I mean, don't even get me started, right? I mean, <laughs> you know so what I mean? And it, is, it is, and it makes you feel like that grief of, and Corey and I have talked about this before, of meeting, meeting other people's expectations um, of how you should be, you know, like yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I would get very tired and very cold while I was out with my friends. Um, and there were just nights when I would hit a wall and my friends would get so mad at me. And like, we would start the night and they'd be like, well, we'll see how long Jamie lasts. And it's like, do you think I want to like not be out with you guys? Uh, and like, you know, I, know, I would run home from the bar because I was so cold. Like I just wanted to be home and warm so badly that I like couldn't, couldn't manage uh, it. But that, but like that yeah. grief when other people expect you to be one way or because mm -hmm. they've seen you one way at one point mm -hmm. and then you're not anymore it's like it's not fair <laughs> no it's so it's totally not fair and the thing with ms and i don't know if it's the same for lyme or not but with ms it usually strikes people when they're younger so there's an expectation that you can't need a cane or other you know a catheter or a wheelchair if you're young what's wrong with you that you would have you're too young for that and that's mm. just like not true ms is a young person's disease you know yeah so i'm kind of curious too because um obviously i i think this was before the show started but you're saying how you you have daughters who you raised compassionate people but i'm curious about what what the world was like after you you had to tell people and say this is what's going on um because there there's a grief process associated with with the way i mean for you to an extent too but people people's expectation of who you're supposed to be in their life mm -hmm. um and and maybe how that that image you know i i think of um my mom died of lou gehrig's oh i'm so sorry know? so my okay. mom thank you my mom uh you know she was sick for three and a half years skin and bones by the time she died mm. you know so it's rough going from being like you know the homemaker the, the cook you know the babysitter you know the, everything we need her to be to you know us having to grieve the you know grieve what we lost from her and how we couldn't look at her in that same way anymore we couldn't expect that of her and i'm curious just how you how you related that that process of of people maybe not necessarily like treating you like you're you're incapable but knowing that people had to wrap their minds around this is how it's going to be different for me. oh yes and it really depends on on the person or the people that you're yeah. you're telling this to um i've never really had a problem telling people i tend to just be like that's just my style i'm just going to tell you and it's up to you to to deal with it <laughs> but but after a while i found and jamie i'm sure understands this how exhausting it can be to try to explain and then to get responses like oh i might have that too because they had a tired you know they were tired because of something it's like no you don't no, understand you know you really don't so so i um when it came to my family i told them right away my daughters at that time were teenagers and pretty strong-minded um I, I learned pretty quickly uh, before I even talked to them that really when you share it with other people, those other people are looking to you to give them a sense of how they should respond. So if you're really sad and, you know, if you're, if you put off a vibe, like you're fearful, well, then they're going to be fearful. 
But if you say, well, I have this thing, but you know, it, I think it's going to be okay. Then they're going to go, okay. And then they're going to be okay with it. You know? So that was something I really learned. Um, I didn't tell my first, my employer right out of uh, sleep technology school that I had it because I was still learning it. And I felt like I wanted to have a good crack at this job. I didn't want to give anybody any reason to <laughs> let me go for any other reason besides maybe I wasn't good enough. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. whether or not we have the ADA to protect us, um, things happen in the workplace. And so I, I did that job for about two years before I took myself out of that job because circadian rhythm disruption, not good for a broken brain. Just so mm. not good, <laughs> not good. So yeah. I didn't. And then, um, so that, but that's weird. That's a weird thing to live with not telling people. Cause it's almost like living a lie and it's a secret. And I didn't like that either. So, but, um, yeah, as far it's really as tough though, the stigma, um, you know, yeah. yes. Like now I feel like it's gotten a little bit better, but I could see in that time yeah. frame that it was, you know, it was concerning. And even like my stepmother is like, I, I had a, a, my most recent job. I self-identified as disabled when I applied, um, because I am, you know, and, um, I wanted to make sure that they knew, and I'm very vocal about it because if you don't educate, I think it, it's an injustice sometimes. And, you know, like yes. it's, if we don't educate, um, we're not going to ever get that understanding from people. Um, and oh, so, yeah. yeah, you know, but my stepmother, the first thing she said was, you told them that you, that you have health issues. Like what, what were you thinking? You know, and I was like, well, it's a little bit different now. And thankfully, you know, the world has accepted and, under and understands and more people are being vocal about their diseases. But it yeah. is, there's like a, there's a, there's an awful stigma. And, and I agree. I don't ever want somebody to look at me and think I can't do something because exactly. I, I, sure, I sure as shit will yeah. overstand myself to prove you wrong. <laughs> yes, that that's so, totally me. Oh my gosh, I can see my brain, you doing is, that as well, my brain sure. is like pinging all these ideas that are coming just from what you just said. One of yeah. them is I just recently saw the movie Crip Camp and just want to say thank you to the Judy humans in the world, all the people that made that film and who were part of the whole ADA movement and the disability voices uh, movement who are still working so hard to get a world that we can live in that is equal and fair for everybody and accessible. <laughs> and um, so there's that, but yeah, I'm super grateful for that. Um, but I have to say that telling my friends and family has been mostly pretty good. I only had one friend that really broke down and cried. I wrote a poem about it. I'm sure you read it. <laughs> it's in my book. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And it was, it was really unusual. Um, but but maybe not because of her personality. And I, I kind of had to just calm her down and say, no, it's going to be fine. Um, but you know, people, but, but what you say about education is so important. If we don't tell our stories from our own bodies with our own faces and our own voices, people are only going to think of our diseases as these abstractions that can't happen to them. And instead of seeing us walking, walk and talking the talk and living a life, having a chronic illness. And so if, thank goodness for me having two friends who have MS, they were doing that. And so I have now already the power and the strength to keep going. But for people who don't have those exposures, they're just still gonna be in the dark ages. And so it's like really, 
I understand why people don't want to talk about it because it's just not people, not everyone is easy or comfortable with, you know, talking about physical things. I get it. You know, I don't have some, some of my symptoms are just really not, you know, great for conversation, <laughs> but um, <laughs> on the other hand, if you know what I mean, so, but, but on the for other sure. hand, if you, if you don't ever talk about it, then it just becomes this thing that you put in the corner and, and tried not to, to shine a light on it. Another poem I have in my in my book, it's called Visibility, and it's talking about talking about your illness, not because you're looking for, you know, any kind of sympathy, but because you're taking ownership over it, and you're saying, this is who I am, and it's an active agency, and I just think, I, I have to add that while we live in these really crazy times right now, where the internet is bringing out people who are just saying and doing some of the meanest possible things, the flip side of that is there are more and more people talking about their challenges, whether it's a physical challenge, a mental health challenge, hooray, let's talk about that. An invisible challenge, um, a chronic illness, cancer, whatever. People are talking about it. And because of that, commu whole communities are forming. And because of that, people are learning how to live with their chronic illness in ways that doctors can't possibly give us information about. They can only give us drugs and therapies and tell us our prognosis and interpret the tests and answer questions about symptoms, but they can't help you live your day-to-day -day life. But you know, people like you and me, you and with your podcast, both of you, and then me with my book and all of our peers out in the world. And there are a lot, we are legion. There are a lot of us out there. Yes. It is. It's <laughs> incredibly we, encouraging. <laughs> it's it, it, super. It really is. So, so we're out here and, and we're all kind of helping shape a roadmap for anyone who will need it. Cause let's face it. We don't get out of this alive. None of us do. <laughs> and most of us are going to be sick or injured before we pass on to the next, whatever that is. And so here, here are people like you and I who can share our own little tiny story. It's a little footprint, but put a lot of footprints together and you got a roadmap for people. That's kind of the way I look at it. So you, you seem like a pretty optimistic person just, just by knowing you, but I mean, you know, obviously this, it's, it's not like I have MS, you know, it's, you know, it's like, Hey, I, I'm sure that I'm sure there was lots of dark days, you know? So how, how did you take on those dark days? And obviously it looks like you want to be positive. How there, there's gotta be a, a, a significant clash. I mean, that's true for anything, you know, where you want it to be one way, but it's not, I, I'm just curious about, you know, some of those darker days. What, what was that Yeah. Like? The darker days are usually uh, there's a lot of sleep involved <laughs> Um, but there's, um, there's an underlying, um, there's an underlying depression that goes with it. Part of it is affective. It's literally a biological consequence of having MS because you have a brain chemistry, you know, dysfunction. And so, um, and then just living with it and having days where you make plans and they're all shot to hell because suddenly, you know, your IBS is just totally flared up and you can't even leave the bathroom. Okay, great. So I, that happened to me once I was going to have it was the best thing. I was going to have some friends over. We were going to our movie room in our pajamas to watch oh. the Academy Awards. And I'm like, easy, everyone bring a snack, super easy. I don't have to do anything. I just have the movie room. And two hours before I had to cancel because I had such terrible IBS. It's like, I wouldn't even be able to be in the room with you. I'd be in the bathroom the whole time. 
it's so and so that's frustrating and then that kind of builds up some of that depressive response and so you have to learn to like listen to that voice and say okay I hear you I see you you're trying you're trying to come in and throw your shadow on me and I get it take a deep breath and say but not today (laughs) um I'm just generally naturally optimistic I'm a my mother was that way and uh I I mean to her very end she was always very much forward thinking and optimistic so I think it's just a I got lucky and was born with a good personality trait, but, but the dark days, um, well, it's really interesting. One of the things, uh, about my grief journey is it really, you can really match it to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her five stages, five stages of grief. Um, it's that weird emotional roller coaster that you go through once you lose something. And then the case of a diagnosis, you're losing, kind of your identity and a sense of control over the one thing you thought you owned, and that's your body mm-hmm. or your brain right and you suddenly have no say and that's just totally not fair so you know the five stages are denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance so for me the first part was denial you know oh uh, there's nothing really wrong with me they're wrong the tests are wrong or I can just power through it which Jamie you know that's a lie <laughs> there's no powering through a chronic illness that doesn't work that way you know it's like asking a chronic a person with chronic illness to power through a flare is like asking a person with a broken leg who's in a cast to go and run four laps i mean come on that's, a great that's just, analogy it's so not fair but you can't see it necessarily so people just don't get it it's not a it's not a mind over matter thing um i also did think maybe i was a hypochondriac because you kind of you have all these weird symptoms and you're like what you know but I think that was a short part of my, my grief journey. Okay. Um, the anger part that, uh, comes next. And that was probably the, maybe not the longest. I think the depression part was the longest part and always kind of comes back. But for me, the longest part, uh, prior to depression was anger. And that was because I was going back to school and I had all these big plans. And then this shows up I have stuff to do. I was really pissed. Yes. And I had teenagers in high school who were super busy and I had to get kids off to college. And it's like, this is not fair, not fair. And then um, also um, (laughs) if you're really healthy, you just cannot possibly know just how broken our healthcare system is and how frustrating that is. Okay. So the quick um, education into that was very angry just like, wow, even with good insurance, this is, this is it, this is it. And that's not to say I don't have great doctors because I do have good doctors, but there are systemic problems that um, weird hoops you have to jump through, which you shouldn't have to because you're already jumping through hoops just to live your days, you know? And then just the cost of chronic illness, the cost of a a typical MS medication is about a hundred thousand dollars a year that if that doesn't piss you off I don't know what will (laughs) yeah it's it's crazy so 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 the darkness I think I channel a lot of it and just being angry um and then for a while I felt like okay well I can just take control of this if I just do this then I should be okay that sort of bargaining thing that you go through but after a while I was like yeah, you really can't. I'm not going to make a bargain with a disease. I'm going to live my life, you know? <laughs> um, so I didn't really go through a lot of bargaining, but then it was really the depression, the, the, and not so much of a, a why me, but a, 
why bother? I mean, when you get really tired, you're just like, why do I bother doing any of this? If none of it matters, nobody cares. I'm writing a book. No one's going to read it. You know, all these, these like that bad, you know what I mean? That really negative self-talk comes in and you just have to battle that. And I still, to this day, battle with that. So as far as physical symptoms, there are days this, just this week, I had to take a nap, um, unexpectedly, which I haven't had to do in a really long time, but it's really hot here right now. So it might be that. And I've, I've been doing a lot of like kind of intellectual work for work and that just drains my brain. And I just, Jamie, you said it earlier, you totally hit a wall. I mean, there's no better way to describe yeah, it. Yeah. It's like, there, I, I have to stop right this second. Like there is nothing more in me. It's, it is, you yeah. literally hit a wall. Yeah. Yeah. So finally I, I did about three years post-diagnosis. Um, I found myself writing poems that were really about just living with MS and realized that I had maybe come to that acceptance that this is just, this is my life. Everyone's got shit in their life. This is mine. And I'm just going to deal with it. And I think one of the, the poems in the book, it's called um, the year I came home from the war. And it talks about this idea that people expect us to be warriors, but you know, we didn't sign up <laughs> to get a disease, you know, and I, and I've been in this kind of weird war, but I'm not really in a war. I'm just a person who's just trying to, you know, live my day or live my life day to day. And, you know, as you guys know, every day you wake up, you check in. I think um, we had talked earlier that Christina Applegate had just recently came out to the public and told them that she has been diagnosed with MS. And she mentioned, made a mention that among her friends who have MS that, you know, yeah, every day you wake up and you check in and that's your plan for the day. And that's, I mean, once you accept that, you can kind of work with that. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, we do have those really great days, you know, there are, there are still many, many great, great days. You know, it just may not look the same as other people's great days. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, so, and, and sometimes the days are fine. And then I find that when I, when I do get an MS hug, it's usually like three in the morning. So that kind of ruins the whole next day because you can't sleep through that. And then it takes like two hours for the medication to kick in and, you know, you're doing yoga and you're trying to find a position. It's just so uncomfortable. And I've even had some of those go for like, a day. I mean, they just didn't go away and it's so painful. So those, that's probably my worst symptom that is life altering. You know, most of my symptoms, I feel like I'm, I got like a luckier set than maybe other people because like I have ringing ears, but I mean, I can live with that. My ears are ringing right now, but I, maybe I just over a talk over it. I don't know, but, um, that's not too bad. I have these weird tingling sensations, but it doesn't hurt. Um, I have like weird speech things that I will find myself tripping over my words or struggling to find words. And that irritates me, but I can live with that. I mean, there are way worse things than <laughs> that, you know? So I just kind of count my blessings and because there, there are good things and you can, you can, I get, I guess I used to think of, um, I, I still do actually I need to write an essay about this actually. Mm -hmm. And it's about this idea that once you're diagnosed with something, you fall into like this sort of natural, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's not really a trap, but it's a process called diagnosis mind. 
in which you go in and suddenly you're in this new diagnosis. It's like a reshaping of your entire identity. And I think that's normal and maybe even healthy because you're, what you're trying to do is figure out how you're going to dance with this new partner. Right. But sometimes you don't pull yourself back out of that and just get back to living. And then it becomes kind of a trap. Like you begin to embrace all the darkness and live inside it rather than reach up and try to find the light and, you know, find your way back to as much of a quote unquote normal life, a new normal, as they say. Um, but I do know, I do have um, cohorts in some of the MS forums that I belong to or admin. And um, there are some people who are really, really in those dark, low places and they're still grieving and everyone's timeline's going to be different. And you have to just really be very patient with them and say, it's going to be fine. You will get past this. Um, there's another, there's a brighter place on the other side and it's okay to feel the feels mm -hmm. and all of that. It, it, it's, it's totally, you have to don't deny yourself the feels because you're, you're, you're going to need them. That's the whole grieving process is really a healthy a necessary part of our ability to grow as human beings, you know? Yeah. We, one of our things, we, we always, we always say, feel the feels like we always say, yeah. we say, feel what you need to, but don't get buried in it. You yeah, know, just exactly. Don't. Exactly. Cause it's so easy to do. I mean, it's really easy to get stuck there and, and never find your way back out. Yeah. But I think a lot of it too, is that like, when you don't let it out, that's when you get stuck, you know? Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and so, um, just, going with it at the in the moment and be like, okay, all right, well, that happened. And, uh, all right, we're, we're good. <laughs> we're good okay. now. <laughs> yeah. Now if you offloaded it now you can, you know, a, a sometimes just a good hard cry is just, it leaves you feeling like 10 pounds lighter. <laughs> totally. Last night, last night, my son and I, he was being a little difficult and we were laying in bed and talking and, um, I was explaining to him, you know, kind of like his, we were talking about his emotions and he's like, I don't want emotions. And I'm like, I'm like, I get that, buddy. I'm like, but you need, I'm like, but you'd never feel happiness ever again. But you want that. Sadness stinks. Anger is stinks, but it's, it's, it's an emotion. We're kind of using like the inside. Yes. Out analogies and oh, I love it. That's great though. But, That's great. But yeah, just saying like, yeah, you know, like it stinks. Yeah. And, but and like a lot of people are just afraid to cry or whatever, afraid to have those emotions, afraid to unlock that part yeah, of themselves. Yeah, yeah, and, and then, then you then at some point it comes out, and then you're like a big sobbing mess for like. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Well, I have to say that when you asked about the dark days, one of the things that I feel is a is is really helpful for me is I have been a lifelong writer and creative person, and when I write it's to discover. Um, I don't write about what I know, as they often say. I write about what I need to know or what I need to find out about myself. So I have this gift and this ability to write down how I'm feeling. And my goodness, it has been made all the difference. I mean, that's how I came to write this book. You know, I sat down and I started writing poems. And I realized I need to just write a whole book about this. Cause I, I looked for other books and there were very few, there's a couple of very good ones. Um, but I felt like I needed to write this story or my story to add to that collection. And man, that, oh, it, there's just something amazing for me anyway, about digging down there and mining all that gunk <laughs> that is emotional and for dark sure. and yeah. And, and then 
and it's another, it out. It's another method of getting it out, right? You know, crying is getting it out, you know, laughing is getting it out. And writing is getting it out. <laughs> it is. And, you know, it's funny because I've been a writer my whole life and there has been this weird bias against people writing about their illness. Um, and I just think that's a mistake because any good writer is going to mind the depths, no matter what they're writing about. So if you're writing a very personal story, of course, you're going to mind those depths and you're going to go there. So to me, writing is therapeutic, of course, and you can end it there and just keep journals. And that is fantastic. And if, I mean, that can be everything you need for me, I wanted to take it further. Again, I'm a journalist too, besides all this. So I want to go out and educate and share and uh, raise awareness and all of that. So I did that. And I took about five years to, um, wow. I, I, yeah, I went, I went I on these camping trips. Yeah, it took like five, yeah, it is. Uh, well, it, it's long because I would have to go on retreats to do the writing because I write for a living and it's just so hard to switch hats and write creative writing when you're writing columns and all those other stuff, science writing. So, so I went uh, on several different writing retreats, probably three or four times a year. So, and I would just really write cool. really intense experience uh, with my travel trailer, you know, out under the, the stars and the moon wow. when it wasn't raining, <laughs> um, campfires. And that's why you probably notice in the book, there's a lot of campfires and stars yeah. and skies and nighttime. Yeah, so in I love, and nature is so healing as well. And so Absolutely. it's like you, yeah. you really like, you were able to go out and, and get everything out be with nature, you know, mm -hmm. be with your thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, in turn sharing it with, with other people that relate that can, you know, relate and, and feel like they're not alone and feel like somebody understands. And that's like just an incredible thing. Um, I have a question about the title. So oh, sure, you, sure. Know, you had mentioned that, that MS, you get tremors and things, yeah. but, but why intention tremors? Well, there, like I said, there are several kinds of tremors. I've had three different kinds. Um, mostly it's a postural one where I'm standing and my leg will just start going off and I have to really think to keep it from continuing to tremble or tremor. But there's also this thing called an intention tremor. It's the one where your hands, as they're laying at your sides or sitting on the desk or whatever, are just calm. But once you reach to grab something, they start to shake. And that's called, so you're intending to do something and then you, there's this weird disconnect. Yeah. Disconnect between your, your brain and your muscles that control your arm. And it creates this weird spasticity and, and tremor. Um, and I used intention tremor because I thought it's kind of a vague enough scientific term that it could also be construed in other ways. Like I have an intention with this book and it's to talk about this, you know, so um, when I finally figured out what the title was, I was super psyched because it was like, yes, because the tremor also suggests, you know, um, displacement or instability, um, things not being in order, chaos or whatever. And that's also what it, an experience is when you are going through, a, you know, the post-diagnosis period. So it just made sense to put those, use that phrase, the two separate words together, but then put together as an actual medical term it it does seem to inspire other ideas about your body <laughs> sure yeah thank you for sharing that 
Sure. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we do on our podcast um, is we ask everyone to complete this sentence. Um, it can be a word, it can be a phrase, um, it can be, you know, a bunch of words, but um, <laughs> can you complete grief is? Wow. Grief is normal. It's normal. I, I mean, we that. grieve about <laughs> any kind of loss, right? I mean, any kind of loss is going to be grieved, even if it's a divorce where people are amicable, there's still a loss. So you have to kind of go through that and it's okay. It's normal. It's something <laughs> we have to do. Yeah, for sure. Oh, awesome. Thank you. You, you have sure. such a bright, shiny personality. I, I'm so happy oh. that that we got to, you know, well, I mean, you know, I, I started talking to you ages ago and we finally made this happen. And um, yeah, I'm so yeah. excited that, um, oh, I'm so glad to, to be here. And, you know, yeah. you really, you, you've brought such a, a positive vibe to the podcast. So thank you so very much. <laughs> Thanks. I, I would like to just add that, um, sure. I am the, the sales of my book, uh, all of my proceeds are going to an organization called the Accelerated Cure Project. And they, <laughs> are people who are helping to uh, ma uh, manage the data that researchers collect when they're doing research studies to help accelerate you know, the ends of these studies so that they can be done more quickly and turned around so that we can get closer to some kind of you know, understanding of what MS is doing to us and how we can uh, keep it from making, you know, making people's lives so miserable. So yeah, I'm donating all of that money to them. So anybody oh, who, amazing. you know, buys a copy, it's helping. Yes. I, I, I mean, it's, it's really important that, you know, we take and, and give back to our communities in that way. That's beautiful. Thank you for doing that. And we will we'll oh, sure. share, we'll share the link um, to purchase it. Um, I loved it. Um, it really, Thank you know, you. it's, it's if you are going through your own chronic illness or if you know somebody with a chronic illness who doesn't, you know, um, we yeah, all know yeah. someone, it is great. It, it's just a great piece of, of art, really. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. I so, really appreciate that. Of course, thank you. Yeah, so everybody should um, definitely check it out. It's not a long read. It is. It, it was an engaging read. I read it from cover to cover to cover. <laughs> oh great! It. Oh yeah, so, good! Oh good! Oh, I'm so flattered. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that the proceeds are going, you know, to to somewhere constructive because we yes. we need we need to do things faster, right? Oh For yes, sure. especially right now. I mean, COVID nineteen is really kind of taken resources from everything. So you know, personnel and doctors, um, uh, person, uh, staff, labs, all money, all of that stuff's going to COVID-19. So a lot of things are on hold right now for good reason, of course, but, um, eventually I'd really, you know, they really are going to need to get that jump start when they can. So these people are there to do it. I I'm really happy to be aligned with them. Amazing. Thank you, Tamara, so much. Well, yes. Thank, sure. you, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. This has been and, fun. And everyone, thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody.